course, the one time that we have a food truck, my doctor has put me on a diet where I can't eat anything that's in the food truck, so I'd like to thank Marlo for the timing. <sighs> but I'm not bitter at all. Um, for those of you who are joining us in person and online, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eaglemont. So glad that you're with us. Uh, again, can we give, on the count of three, people who are in person, we want to give a shout out to all those who are watching online. One, two, three. Hello. Hey. It's good to see you all. Thanks to our hosts online, to uh, Carrie, Ashley, and Trish, who are hosting this morning, and all those who are joining us. We're so glad that you're with us. Um, Today, we're going to be walking into principle one of our new series, Soul Care, that we uh, introed last weekend. Now, a reminder to go through this series and to not be involved and be engaged in community through it is the equivalent of walking by the food truck and smelling the mini donuts, but not actually being able to eat them. If you are going to get what God wants for you out of this series, you have to be engaged in community. So if you haven't already, we do have a couple of groups that still have a little bit of room for, uh, for some more members. Most of our small groups have filled up, but if you have not engaged, you need to be involved in community. There's a list on the screen. You can go onto the website and go to the small groups page. Just go to eaglemont.info and you'll see sign up for a small group and that will forward you to the small groups page and you can go to the bottom and go to the form to fill out to join a group. Now, if you find that you can't find a group or maybe you go this time of year, this time of season with my kids, I just, it's, it's too chaotic. I'm not able to find any consistency. You need to do community through this. You have to do it with someone else. So if that means you have a friend in the church, a friend in the community that you can do this with, Find someone, find two or three others that you can join up with and do this together. Do it on a timetable that works for you. But I'm telling you, you've got to do this with someone else. If you are, let us know about it, who you're meeting together with. If you want to meet with someone else, but you just don't know who to meet with, message me, joel at eaglemontchurch.ca. We want to make sure we get you connected in with that. Uh, for those who are meeting maybe outside of a small group or those of you who are in a small group, if you go to the small groups page on our website, you'll see each week we're going to update the small group questions to go with that Sunday's message. So you'll see the questions for this week for you to be able to do together are on the website now, so you can do that this week. Now, as we launch into principle one, I want to, before we even walk into the message today, I want to preface with this statement, which Cliff, I haven't started preaching yet, so you can't start timing me yet, okay? Okay. I am not an expert. And as we go through this series, we're going to be excavating things that you need to hear from me. I am not coming here as the person who has it all together and is going to tell you how to put your life so it's like mine. I am made of flesh and blood, and a lot of the principles that we are going to be learning together are ones that God is working on me through. Core to the health of your soul is your answer to the question of your identity. Who am I? What makes me of worth or value? Your sense of identity is the foundation of your life. And if it's not constructed properly, the whole thing falls apart. For those of you who have been in church, you might remember Jesus telling the parable, a story about a man who built his house on sand versus a man who built it on rock. You can have a wonderful paint color throughout your home, and sometimes in our lives, we focus on the paint color and the fixtures, but what's core is the foundation needs to be solid. 
Your identity is part of the foundation of your life. This morning, we're going to talk about your identity. Let's pray together as we start. Heavenly Father, open my heart. Open our hearts. We want to hear from you, from what you would say. Give us ears to hear, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What is your identity? The Bible gives a very clear picture for the Christ follower of who we are. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, we see a real focus on who we are in Christ. In Christ, if you are a believer, if you have accepted Jesus, there is a distinct identity for you. The term in him or in Christ is used 11 times just in the first three chapters of Ephesians and 30 times throughout the book. It tells us that you are chosen in him. You are adopted into the family of God. You are redeemed by his blood, forgiven according to his grace, called for a purpose, received an inheritance, sealed as a family member. You are loved, wanted, and of incredible value to God. Now, if you were to live your life out of this real identity, that leads to a life which is rich with love, meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. Yet for many, even those who are in the church today, while they may be aware of these statements in Scripture, they don't live their life out of this true identity. Many struggle with an unhealth in their soul that finds its roots in a false identity. Now, you may be asking, okay, so if I'm a follower of Jesus, how can I possibly live under a false identity? I've already received him. I've read these things. To understand this, you first need to properly divide, again, as we spoke a little bit about last week, the difference between soul and spirit. Your spirit, as the Bible tells us, when you receive Christ, is made new, is made perfect. No struggle, no sin. Your spirit is made new by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Your spirit is what lives on eternally with God. But your soul, which is your thoughts, your emotions, your heart, your will, your soul can still struggle with sin. It experiences hurt and bitterness and holds sway over the reality of your daily existence. Your soul can be deceived. And in that, you can end up serving in your life a lie and living out a false identity. Let me give a practical example. Let's talk about Megan. Megan's life is, is defined by a false identity. Later in her teen years, she began going to church. And she read all about and was told all about God and his unconditional love for her. She accepted Jesus and went into her adult years. Yet even with all the years of experience in hearing this truth, Megan's childhood continued to have an impact on her life. Megan grew up in an abusive home when her dad felt disappointed or upset, which could happen on the spur of a moment. He would often turn abusive, verbally and sometimes physically. That had a traumatic impact on Megan's life. It pushed her because she constantly felt she had to be perfect because it was her fault. She was damaged and she was the reason why dad would get angry. This pushed her to be a perfectionist. She excelled at school. She excelled at her job. 
In church, she was the one who volunteered for every position. She never said no. But deep underneath, the motivation for Megan's yeses was a false identity. That she was not loved, precious, made whole by Christ. But she was damaged. She had to perform perfectly in order to have any value. Her value was dependent on her perfection and on her performance. She never really lived out her true identity of being unconditionally loved and treasured by God. Now, some of you may go, okay, so Megan came from a bad home and came from an abusive structure, but my life isn't like that. I came from a good home, so I wouldn't have to worry about that. I came from probably one of the best households you could come from. I had great parents and great family. Yet circumstances in my childhood led me to believe a lie about myself. I was a people pleaser. The one thing that I was praised for was that A, I didn't require a lot of attention. I wasn't particularly special or gifted in any way. And B, the one thing I could do is I was good at making others feel better. It's not a bad thing. But the affirmation that I received for that over my life made me believe that my worth was that I could please others, that I could fix others. Guess what that developed in my life, even as an adult? A struggle for what do I do when I can't fix others, when I can't fix situations, when I can't please others. Now, I was used to that being, especially for people who are far away from me, I could handle that. But what about those who are really close to me? It's caused major issues in my marriage the first couple of years. My poor wife had to deal with a guy who couldn't handle when his wife was in any way displeased with something that he did. See, I wasn't rooted in the right identity, that I was loved simply because I was God's kid, not because of what I could do, what I could accomplish. Until we deal with the issues of our soul, you will not experience the fullness of God and intimacy with him. You will live out of this false identity you have believed about yourself. And your identity wound, as we said last week, is like a hole in a bucket. And God fills it with his love, but that hole is constantly seeping out. You can encounter God's love, but it leaks out. So how do we begin to address this hole? How can we ever heal from the identity wounds in our lives that some of us aren't even fully aware of? The Bible tells us that transformation of the soul is possible. Some of you may say, well, I've always just been this way and I can't change it. But the Bible says you can. In Romans 12 too, it talks about how we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Neuroscientists talk about neuroplasticity, that we can have ruts in our ways of thinking because of continual thoughts and continual actions, where we actually get these ingrained neural pathways like tire tracks in the snow in the winter where you kind of get sucked in by the tire tracks that were already put in even when you try to drive out. That's how we feel sometimes when we try to change the way we think and we act. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, the brain is actually able to reform and we can have new neurons fire in our brain and new neural pathways be made, but our mind needs to be renewed. There are two key tools to renewing your mind, as Dr. Rob Reimer talks about in his book. And most of what we're going to be sharing here is found in the book that we're reading through and, and, and going through this fall. 
but two key tools to renew your mind. The first is this, the presence of God. 2 Corinthians tells us really clearly that we have access to the presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's in the presence of God that we can be transformed. So we need the presence of God. And the second tool is this, holding on to truth. Now tell me if you've heard this verse before. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. How many of you have heard that before? Those of you online, maybe you've heard that as well. We often take this part of, of, of scripture and that's the only part we read, but that's actually not properly in context if we take it just at there. This statement that's made is not a passive statement. It's part of an if and then statement. If we go to John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It is not simply about having head knowledge of truth. We are to hold on to truth. A different distant knowledge of truth alone will not set you free. You need to exercise the truth you know of who you are in Christ against the lies that the enemy of your soul, the devil, is so wanting to take you away from. Then the truth will set you free. Your identity is rooted in the grace and adoption of God, not in your ability to fix, control, do, accomplish, or please. You must hold on to this truth when you are the most tempted to feel unworthy because the enemy of your soul loves to trap you with shame. Shame, as Dr. Reimer explains, is a sense that you are not lovable, that something is wrong with you, and to break toxic shame, the key is not thinking about more about yourself, but less. It's not, oh, I just think I need to think better about myself. No. You need to think less about yourself. You must get your eyes off of yourself and your eyes fixed on Jesus. Toxic shame, ironically, is the flip of the coin of pride. With toxic shame, you are looking to make something of yourself, to prove your worth by what you do and what you have, rather than believing what God has told you about yourself, that you are deeply loved. You see, the power of any lie is your agreement with it. We need to invite God to help us unpack the suitcase of our soul to see what else has gotten inside what lies have you been carrying around with you in your life? And then we need to begin to hold truth directly to those lies to break them. If we don't do that, our false identity, which it has already, will try to cover up our own feelings of vulnerability, of shame, of inadequacy, by reaching for some form of dysfunctional attachment. Think of it like in the beginning of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, as they sin, and be, they suddenly become aware that they are naked in the garden as God comes in. They cover themselves with leaves because they are ashamed. Our shame forces us to find some other way to cover ourselves up. So like breadcrumbs, the lies we have believed in our lives have these dysfunctional symptoms that they leave. And it can help us discover the lies that we have been following and living under. So let's quickly talk about some of the symptoms of lies. First symptom is this, defensiveness. When you are on a faulty foundation, you become touchy and defensive. Think of it in your life. The things that you are not confident on are probably the things that you're most touchy and most defensive over. 
That work project that you know you didn't do a great job on and you're really worried about someone talking to you about it, you feel insecure about it. You can't handle any sense of criticism. For those of you who maybe grew up in a family with really high standards and expectations, where failure was unacceptable, and you were only valuable, perfect, and achieving, whenever it felt, I felt like someone was saying, I failed, you probably became defensive. Didn't handle criticism well. Defensiveness is symptom number one. Symptom of lies number two is pettiness. You can become petty with others. Small things can become big things to you because you haven't really fully experienced grace yourself. You haven't lived under that freeing forgiveness of Christ where it doesn't matter how I perform. So you have a hard time of showing grace to others. Symptom number three is compulsive behavior. We are often compulsive about what we believe we need the most, what we feel lacking most in our souls. We grasp for things we feel will help us overcome feeling less than or inadequate. So, for example, think of those who didn't have a lot in their formative years. Perhaps those who maybe generationally grew up during the Great Depression. You grew up in a family that was very poor and were lacking and actually didn't have food for the table sometimes. Through your life, oftentimes what happens is you react through your life, you hoard, you hold. There's a constant anxiety about never having enough. A belief that you're going to run out. And you can see people with immense wealth, yet they hold on to everything that they have. There's not a growing sense of generosity in their lives that they're constantly worried about losing. Some compulsive behaviors are easier to mask than others. Some are more blatant, like addictions, alcohol, drugs, pornography, where users use those vices to help fill what's lacking within their own soul. Now, you can try to focus on changing the behavior, and sometimes you'll find short-term success, but you will fail. Because the behavior is only the symptom of the condition, it's not the root. We need to attack the lie that's underneath, that's been built on a faulty foundation. Dr. Reimer in his book says this, at the root of addictive behavior is shame. Feeling unworthy, unlovable, vulnerable, or inadequate. And you grab for the object of your addictive affections as a self-medicating means to numb internal pain. If you can get to the heart and bring freedom and healing there, then the behavior will follow. Church, we need to stop focusing just on the behavior. We need to look at the lies underneath our shame. Anxiety is a telltale sign that you are standing on a lie somewhere in your life. In my marriage, I would have anxiety anytime Carrie wasn't pleased with me or I couldn't fix a problem that we were facing. I felt immense anxiety with that. I couldn't deal with it. Again, Dr. Reimer says, when you're on a foundation that is threatened, your mind will start racing. See, when the lie starts getting threatened by reality, your mind starts racing and your soul will feel the internal quaking that results from a life constructed on a lie. Only when you stand on the true foundation of God's love can you feel peace, no matter what circumstances surround you. This is your identity. So this morning, let's look at three core lies. 
And perhaps like me, as you read through these with me this morning, you're going to be struck and convicted about maybe a lie that's in your life. Three core lies about our identity. The first lie is this, the performance lie. Now, the performance lie says this, your value is dependent upon your performance. On how you perform, on what you achieve, on how well you do that, you need to do it well. That's the only way you can live with yourself. Do you feel discouraged or even depressed after a bad performance or criticism? Let me tell you, pastors are not immune to this. I don't know if Marion's had this, but I know that my wife's had this, where I've come home after preaching a message going, oh, and I just pick it apart. How poorly done that was. Are you a perfectionist? Do you ruminate after each quote-unquote performance? Nitpicking and trying to tear it apart and look at how you failed. Have you bought into the performance lie? Maybe you've come from a family where there was high expectations and your value was always, your affirmation was always based on your performance. And you believe that your value is always going to be based on your performance. Lie number two, the people-pleasing lie. This lie says that your value is dependent on whether certain people love you or like you. Some people, it's that every person loves or likes them. But if you're like me, I don't care that some of you like me or love me. Sorry if that hurts your feelings, but that's true. But there are certain people in my life that I've always said that they have to love me. They have to like me. That was a struggle for me. If you believe the lie that you need people's approval to feel good about yourself, then you will feel anxiety when people are upset with you. You will get defensive and hurt by criticism. You will fall into the trap of people-pleasing, and you will likely take on too much and you will say yes too often. You won't have healthy boundaries. If this is you, you will eventually most likely end up resentful if you don't deal with the lie that you've built your life on. Because when people withhold their approval, you will resent them. You will try doing more and more to try to please them, to get that affirmation that you feel you so desperately need. This will lead you to resent all that they are demanding of you because you feel you need their approval to feel good and actually have worth. As you allow the truth of God's love to transform you, you will find freedom from people-pleasing and the ability to say no without feeling guilty. Think about how people-pleasing may be affecting your life, potentially defensive responses, Times where you feel taken advantage of and it makes you feel resentful. God doesn't love you any less when people mistreat you or don't approve of your choices. The third lie is the lie of control. The lie of control says this, your value is dependent on whether you are in control. People under this lie try to control not just themselves but others. People around them can feel manipulated, shamed, judged, condemned, and sometimes bullied. Those who have suffered abuse often have control issues. It stems from a fear of them feeling so out of control. And the pain that they experienced in that, that they feel they need to have control. And take control in order to have value. 
They choose control as a way of creating security and overcoming deep fears and hurts. Yet it's a faulty foundation that doesn't leave a light, lead to a life of fulfillment, wholeness, and love like they are meant to. The true foundation of your identity is found in Christ. And this is the truth that you must hold on to in the face of all of these core lies. This is the truth that you must appropriate every time the lies threaten your security, your value, and identity. If I need someone else to love me, even someone that is desperately close to me and and valuable to me, someone as close as my wife, who at this point is probably tired of me talking about her. Sorry, Carrie. Because I don't really build on the true foundation of God's love for me, I will always come to that relationship seeking to take something to make up for something that's missing in me. Let me say that again. Because some of you, I believe the light's going to come on to an issue that you're having in your relationships right now. If I need someone else to love me because I don't really build on the true foundation of God's love for me, I will always come to that relationship seeking to take something, to make up for something missing in me. An identity wound in my soul that will lead to ongoing dysfunctional relationship with God and those closest to me. So where do we go from here? Where do we go if we realize we've been building our life on a lie where we go, okay, I get that. I get where I can tend to do that. I get where I tend to gear my my identity on performance and I really feel like it's about what I can do. Or I do it on the the love and, and pleasing others and their affirmation. Or I do it on being controlled, making sure that I make things happen. How do we start to rebuild the foundation of our identity? Quickly. This morning, before we have a time of prayer, four quick steps. Number one, we need to identify the lies. What are the lies in your life? Begin even now to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. I've already shared for me, I I bought into a couple lies. One was that my value was dependent on certain people in my life loving and approving me of me that I could fix problems, that I could take care of those people, their affirmation. Lie number two was my performance. That I had to do things perfectly or right to really have value. You need to identify the lies that you've bought into. Number two, you need to reposition the issue of your value. Recognize the faulty defense mechanisms you have used out of your faulty foundation. What are the things that you've done You've been defensive. Have you been petty? How have you reacted? Don't just know truth, but you need to begin to hold on and to exercise truth at the times when the lies of the enemy swarm you, at that time where you don't do so great on that project at work, when you don't handle that conversation just right, when that person doesn't say that you're great, and points out what may be a true flaw in you. Don't just know truth, but hold on to the truth of God's word. When the lies of the enemy will swarm about you, then you shall know truth, and truth shall set you free. Step number three, access the presence of God. It is available for you 24-7. 
Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. This work can't be done without the Holy Spirit in your life. This is why time alone with God is so critical, so crucial. It's why we talk about it so much in church. We are transformed in his presence. Romans 5, 5 says this, For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You cannot truly grasp the love of God without the Holy Spirit depositing it into you. Spend time worshiping God and listening to him, taking in his truth about you, reading some of these scriptures that reiterate who you are in him. And then finally, number four, act in courage. Don't wait for God to make you feel better before you act. Hold on to and exercise what you know to be true. Renew your mind and act on what you believe by trust and dependence on God. The Bible says in Philippians 2.12, we need to work out our salvation. What has already happened in our spirit, we need to work that out in our soul. It takes courage to act out what we know to be true, even while we're still dealing and repairing that faulty foundation. Begin to act out. Say the words and, and reiterate them to yourself. Act it out in how you respond. So church, I'm going to ask you, for those who are online and those of you who are here in person, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes at this point. Because key is, you don't need to hear from me, but you do need to hear from the Holy Spirit and you need to be honest with him. I want you right now, just in this moment, to ask the Holy Spirit to help you take inventory of your own life. God, is there something that I've believed? Have I lived out a lie about my identity? there's something that he's pointing out to you right now, you just be honest with him about that. I want to do a reflective prayer exercise. So if you don't mind just keeping your, your eyes closed. Because we need to combat lies with truth. And I want you to listen to these words from Zephaniah 3, 17. I'm going to read them a couple times. And I want you to allow your heart and your soul to take in this truth of God's response to you. Zephaniah 3:17. The Lord my God is with me. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in me. He quiets me with his love. And he rejoices over me with singing. I'm going to sing it. I'm going to read this again. Again, just with your eyes closed, I want you to take these words in. 
because I believe God wants to begin to bring some healing in your heart with truth. Take those images and those pictures even now where the enemy is wanting to put signs of your failure and signs of how God would, would never want to take you and of your impurities, of your faults. Combat them with this truth right now. The Lord, my God, is with me. He is mighty to save. He takes great, such great delight in me. He quiets me with his love. And he rejoices over me with singing. Thank you that our value, God, is solely upon that you want us and you love us. That's why it doesn't matter what we do wrong. It doesn't matter how we fail. It doesn't matter what other people think of us. We have value because you take great delight. Sometimes that's hard to accept because others wouldn't, but you do. And you see every bit of us, you see every bit of grime and grossness. And that's how you view us. Help us release the lies that we've believed and help us to live on a true foundation in you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.